1: New questions about an assault investigation.
2: Nobody from the Delta Police Department actually met with me in person.
1: How Delta Police handled a complaint against the chief's wife. Homeless migration.
3: What there isn't a lot of space or tolerance for is the criminal or violent activity that any displaced encampment attracts.
1: The latest Vancouver neighborhood fighting back against illegal campers.
3: And COVID success story. Right now, we only have three active cases in the province.
1: How First Nations are keeping a lid on infections better than anyone. And their message to weekend travelers.
4: You're watching Global BC. This is Global
5: News Hour at 6.
1: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in just a moment. But first, a global exclusive. We are now getting a look at the video that helped clear two young men accused of assaulting police... And obstructing during a routine traffic stop, the judge throwing out all charges. It is disturbing video, and as Ramina Dea reports, the newly released court evidence contradicts the officer's version of events. <laughs>
6: yeah. You film this. I'm not giving you my information. I don't have I to. I'm you just asking, know. I'm not asking for it. It
7: starts it. off as a routine traffic stop. The accused hostile oh, and oh. belligerent. Oh,
8: oh, oh. okay. This, in the this down. has to be one of the okay. funniest things you, I've you, ever you seen. You're
7: trying to tell me I can't put it up. Yes. Not- Vancouver Police Constable Thomas Graham and his partner, Constable Grant Mom, concerned for their safety, according to the evidence. Constable Graham appears to have had enough. He
9: smashed Vancouver the Police the smacking his window the, the pole.
6: Get in your car. Seconds
7: later, the officer grabs the wrist of the passenger, Brendan Robinson. Don't reach. Oh. Oh. Right,
5: don't you grab did. him. You He's not it. fighting. He's not fighting. fighting. He's not These fighting. These
1: officers were defending themselves during a routine traffic stop. And this stop turned uh, very violent, very quick.
7: Constable Graham testified he was pulled into the suspect vehicle by Brendan Robinson, who started the fight. But a crucial new defense video shot by Brendan's brother Troy from the back seat depicts a very different narrative.
5: Stop playing, man.
7: Judge Reg Harris, ruling Constable Graham, was not pulled into the SUV. It was Graham who initiated the fight, violently punching Brendan Robinson, five to ten uppercuts, according to his brother. The judge said Robinson was rude and antagonistic, but he committed no criminal offense. Harris concluded the testimony of the officers was unreliable.
6: Uh, these young gentlemen might have had their future dramatically altered if they were convicted. And so for the video to have assisted the trial judge in the truth-seeking function it was very important.
7: What's frightening, says defense, is Crown was seeking a three-year jail sentence. It's unclear if the officers could face criminal charges. The B.C. prosecution says it's still reviewing the judge's decision.
10: To just be truthful and, you know, you'd, you'd signed an oath to, to wear that badge and to protect the community and actually abide by that.
7: At the request of the VPD, the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is now considering whether it will launch an investigation into police misconduct. What are you
5: doing?
7: Romina Dea, Global News.
1: Vancouver police say they've now recommended a charge to Crown Council in connection with the assault of a 92-year-old Asian man who has dementia. VPD released surveillance video of the March 13th incident. They say the elderly man wandered into a convenience store and a man began yelling racist remarks, including comments about COVID-19. The suspect, as you saw, is seen shoving the senior, causing him to fall and hit his head. The suspect left before officers arrived. Police were later able to identify him and they're now a charge of assault is being recommended. It's up to Crown to decide whether or not to lay the charge. The VPD has seen an increase in anti-Asian hate crimes in recent months. BC's latest COVID-19 numbers are in. There are 10 new cases in the last day for a total of 2,878. Sadly, there's another death, this time at Holy Holy Family Long-Term Care Home in Vancouver. Seventeen people are in hospital, five in the ICU. There are 159 active cases in B.C. 2,545 people who tested positive for the virus are now considered fully recovered. In the fight against COVID-19, B.C. First Nations are doing better than average. But as Brad McLeod reports, despite that success, many First Nations leaders and communities are worried about the speed of phase three reopening and what they say is a lack of consultation.
3: Am I concerned? Absolutely.
11: For many British Columbians, phase three means more fun and freedom. But for First Nations people, it's bringing up past traumas.
3: History is an ugly thing for many First Nations communities. We have... People alive and well who tell the stories of previous pandemics.
11: The fear tourists will carry COVID into their communities and undo their success.
3: Credit for this relative success must go to the choices our First Nations leaders have made. Stopping
11: sacred public gatherings, only essential people allowed like in Snunemuch on Vancouver Island. Or a clear stay away for the people arriving on Haida Gwaii. As of June 14th, just 87 First Nations individuals have
3: tested positive for COVID-19.
11: Of those 87 infected, nearly half live on or near a reserve. There have been four deaths. The acting chief medical officer for the First Nations Health Authority was asked if increased travel undercut First Nations. Some unexpected insight how health decisions are being made in B.C.
3: The decision to go to phase three is a political one, and despite um, any advice I might give or anybody else might give, the decisions are made at other tables, but they're made very carefully.
12: Communities need to do what's right for them at the pace that's right for them.
3: And
11: they already are. Tofino is in Taloquia territory. The people there have partnered with Tofino to welcome tourists back to the general area, but are keeping their communities like Tahistanis and Esowista Closed. Joining my Dr. Bonnie Henry reminding people to be sensitive while exploring because for First Nations, COVID poses a threat not just to life, but to precious oral histories. Our elders, our language holders, and knowledge keepers. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria.
1: Some good news now for people with an urge to roll the dice or lay a bet. Provincial health officer Dr. Bonnie Henry might be willing to gamble a little on reopening B.C. casinos. So we'll bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. It might be more than anything a clever turn of phrase because I don't really think Mm -hmm. she's ready to throw caution to the wind here, Keith. She previously said casino openings were a
13: low priority. In fact, she said they were last on her list when I put the question to her in April, Chris. But a lot has happened since then. Uh, I've, I've got my hands on a video, which well, at least I was able to see a video on, on uh, YouTube, put there by the BC Lottery Corporation, a very professional one, very detailed of what a casino would look like in a pandemic. Lots of plexiglass, a lot of slot machines shuttered, everybody keeping their uh, physical distance, uh, players don't handle the cards and such. So the BC Lottery Corporation has a plan, very clearly. They've now withdrawn that. they pulled that video from uh, YouTube, but That prompted us to put a question to Dr. Bonnie Henry about it again today. So I'm going to play you her original response to my question back in April, which was pretty bleak for the casino industry. And today's uh, response, I think, is a little more hopeful.
12: That is one of the ones that has been closed under a public health order and it would be last on my list to consider for reopening at this point because we know that that type of environment, one is is an enclosed environment, an inside environment. We know that uh, many of the people who frequent that environment are older people, people with underlying illnesses perhaps, people who uh, uh, might be more or or are more vulnerable to having severe illness from COVID-19. I know they have been working with WorkSafeBC to uh, determine if there's a way that they can open, um, taking those into account and they're developing uh, protocols. I have not yet seen them, but I know that uh, that is one of the areas that they're looking at um, which that meet the guidance that we have to ensure that they can operate safely.
13: So, again, I wouldn't put it in the bank if you're a casino operator that this is going to happen anytime soon. But clearly, the work that's been done, I think, is uh, move the casinos to a different uh, platform right now than they were back when she said they were last on her list to reopen. We'll just see what the coming weeks and months bring.
1: A lot of charities and community groups obviously count on that revenue. Yeah. Very important. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, Dr. Henry has been an advocate of getting outdoors and enjoying beautiful B.C. during the pandemic. But search and rescue teams are warning that many people following that advice simply are not properly prepared. As John Waugh reports, they're putting themselves and search and rescue crews at risk.
14: It's like being stuck on a revolving rescue. The call outs for search and rescue teams in B.C. have been constant. This time, it's a group of 17-year-olds who tried to go backcountry camping but got stuck.
6: There was a group of six
10: people who uh, felt they were in an unsafe condition, unsafe place.
14: After locating the teens, Lions Base Search and Rescue is first required to take COVID-19 precautions, knowing saving the group doesn't allow for social distancing.
10: When they got from Cypress Bowl to around the West Lions, it became much steeper, and there's a lot of snow up there, and um, they were not equipped for the snow
14: at a time, the hikers were brought down by helicopter to safer ground. We had one friend who had a near fatal experience falling down the mountain. He just grabbed on with his two hands, uh, and the snow was melting. Looking back, it's not hard to figure out what went wrong. It really comes down to doing more research and just being more prepared for... Uh, going on. We didn't really do that much research. Thought it was pretty simple. Was this your first camp? Yeah, this was our first camp. What this group did do right was stop to call for help. They also stayed in one place until it arrived.
10: And if they'd gone any further, any fall there would have been fatal.
14: According to the BC Search and Rescue Association, there were more than 50 calls across the province, tying up more than 580 volunteers between June 15th and the 21st.
10: Yes, we're seeing a lot more people in the mountains. But the message is, uh, you know, do your homework.
14: With phase three of BC's pandemic restart plan opening up travel within the province, search and rescue teams are worried the number of calls have yet to peak. We've learned to be a bit more prepared about the snow levels up there and how high we're actually getting. Lions Bay will continue to be at the ready, hoping this heavy rotation of rescues will finally stop. John Hua, Global News.
1: There are more questions tonight about the Delta Police Department's handling of an incident involving the wife of its chief. The case has now been handed off to another police force for investigation, and the office of the police complaint commissioner is looking into it. But as Nadia Stewart reports, a former B.C. solicitor general is asking why it took so long.
2: No one met with me in person. That was very shocking to me.
15: Even as Kiran Sadu reflects on her initial interaction with the Delta Police Department following the events of June 9th, she's still asking many questions.
2: There is definitely something that is uneasy about this whole thing and the way it was conducted and how quickly it was done.
15: The incident happened at Centennial Beach. As the tide rose, Sadu climbed onto these rocks. She touched the fence, upsetting the homeowner, who we now know is Lorraine Debord, the wife of Delta's chief of police. According to Sadou, what happened next was completely unexpected. And then she said, I should spray you with my
2: hose. And I said, that would be assault. Like I very clearly said that to her. And she went and got her hose and sprayed me in the face all over my hair and face with her hose.
15: She's literally in the middle of crossing and the water's come up. And at the one end when I asked her to get down. An investigation was launched at the request of Sidhu, though no one met with her in person. Sergeant Sarah Swallow contacted her four days later, saying the case was now closed. Um, And I even
2: said to Sergeant Swallow that I find it really hard to believe that She was able to be unbiased while investigating her boss's wife, and um, that's
15: very uh, suspicious to me. In an email, the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner says after seeing reports of this incident, it is now contacting Delta Police with questions.
6: I was surprised that 11 days had passed since this was brought to the attention of the community
15: Former Solicitor General Cash Heed says an independent investigator should have been brought in from the start. Who
6: within the Delta Police Department knew this was actually taking place? And what were the uh, policies of the department with respect to someone so close to the chief of police being involved in an incident of this nature?
15: Surrey RCMP is now investigating the incident. The board issued an apology in the Delta Optimist newspaper. But Sadu says it still comes up short.
2: You know, it would have been nice if she could humanize me and use my name and take some responsibility. Like, no responsibility was taken in that.
15: Okay. Nadia Stork, Global News.
1: Yet another East Vancouver neighbourhood finds itself in the middle of the homeless crisis and is demanding the city and the province take action. Strathcona Park has become the latest site of a growing tent city and a broad coalition of people who live and work in the area say enough is enough. Jordan Armstrong reports.
3: We are growing um, frustrated uh, with different levels of leadership passing the buck.
4: Call it Vancouver's version of whack-a-mole. A tent city pops up, then disappears, then pops up again nearby. The latest camp in strathcona park
16: there's a bunch of new tents that come up in the last three days at least i'd say 15.
4: here's what the soccer field looked like before and here it is now encampments of fact of life in east side neighborhoods since october 2018 first in oppenheimer park then crab park now strathcona and with oppenheimer still closed for rebuilding Residents and businesses worry they're about to lose even more of their precious green space.
3: We would like our provincial leaders and our municipal leaders um, to take immediate action um, in identifying a permanent location.
4: A location that's not a city park.
3: Strathcona is perfectly aware that the solutions are still going to likely be within our community. We're here to help. We're here for the long term. But this is not a long term solution. What there isn't a lot of space or tolerance for is the criminal or violent activity that any displaced encampment attracts.
4: Michelle Plant moved here three days ago from the hard streets of the downtown east side. She likes the idea of a permanent tent city in a location that doesn't displace community green space.
12: This works for a lot of people, and I think it seems to be
17: working so far.
4: Well, here's a large, vacant, city-owned space, the plaza in front of City Hall. It's hard to imagine a permanent tent city being okayed here, but if it was, no one could accuse politicians of keeping the problem out of sight and out of mind.
3: We waited years for Oppenheimer, and what did we learn? I mean, there, there needs to be a moment where we all step back and say, hey, what did we learn from this?
4: Jordan Armstrong, Global News.
1: The Vancouver Aquarium reopened its doors to the public today after it was forced to close the last several months to limit the spread of COVID-19. Visitors have to reserve tickets online before you visit. Time limits and other measures are now in place for you to safely take in the 86 indoor and outdoor exhibits. The attraction took a big financial hit when it closed down in March, which raised concerns over how it would afford to continue to care for the animals donations and fundraising efforts helped to keep it afloat and today the federal government announced a two million dollar financial boost to the aquarium
11: once you're in it will be a different experience it will be a one flow. there'll be no running around from one exhibit to the other you'll follow the path that will give you an intense focused experience where you can actually appreciate we hope deeper what you see less disturbed Our financial crisis is far from over. There is no guarantee that the Vancouver Aquarium will survive, but this is a happy day when we can open and welcome you back. And this $2 million is going
10: to help uh, continue the operations, allow families to come down here, support the 70,000, more than 70,000 animals that are uh, taken care of here and continue the research.
1: The aquarium will only be operating at 20 to 30% capacity in order to adhere to those physical distancing guidelines. The death of George Floyd and many others has put immense pressure on policing agencies to change their policies. And it's something a retired VPD officer has been working on for years, how he's trying to limit the use of force during arrests based on martial arts principles in just over a minute. Dr. Bonnie Henry's message of be kind, be calm resonates with a Hollywood star. Why Olivia Munn is handing her social media accounts over to BC's top doc later. And home improvements on the ISS. What astronauts were upgrading during their spacewalk and why it's way better to do it in zero gravity. Coming up on the News Hour. Right now though, a martial arts expert and former Vancouver police officer says with better training, many of the high profile use of force complaints against police could be avoided. Al Arsenault has developed a new martial arts based system to help police detain suspects without hurting them. And he's getting a lot more interest from around the world now. Paul Johnson reports.
5: Watch carefully here. If you know anything about martial arts, you'll see this looks a lot like judo, but with some other things going on as well.
6: The world is crying for the ethical use of force.
5: Al Arsenault is a former Vancouver police officer whose beat included the downtown east side. Years ago, he took his background in martial arts and set out to develop a new way of humanely arresting people. He took a year off, traveled to Japan and China, and came up with what he calls a new martial art,
6: police judo. No other martial art has the end game of handcuffing somebody.
5: The idea is this use the defensive principles of judo to manipulate someone into a position where they can be handcuffed using as little force as possible. It's
6: ethical, it's effective, it's practical.
5: Arsenault says the cases of police brutality that triggered worldwide condemnation earlier this month could all have been avoided if officers had the training and willingness to use the techniques that he and his partners have developed here in BC. And because of what's been going on, interest in learning their method of police judo is growing,
6: including in the US. We as uh, long-term beat officers who formed police judo, we're dealing with people with mental problems, people with drugs, and they don't deserve to have their arm broken because they wanted to fight. A lot of times they're fighting themselves, so we had to devise some ways of taking them into custody without hurting them.
5: Paul Johnson, Global News. Up ahead, immigrant
1: doctors
11: fight to be accepted. You are forced to sign this contract, otherwise you're not allowed to continue your career. How they're blaming
1: systemic racism for the barriers they face. Also tonight, summer's here, but the school's working group is already looking ahead. What students and parents should expect in the fall?
0: Good evening and good news over here at the Massey Tunnel. Recently cleared a stall. It was northbound at midspan in the right lane and traffic has fully recovered out of Delta. When you buy a lottery ticket or play at a casino in BC, our healthcare, schools and community programs benefit. BCLC, with every play, you're making BC even better. I'm Trish in Global One at the Massey Tunnel.
1: Against. They're hoping the COVID-19 crisis... And tenor of the current time will help reverse the process. Nitu Garcha reports. On paper only.
9: He's licensed to practice in B.C., but he had to sign a contract designed to place doctors in rural or underserviced communities, a contract that Canadian-trained physicians don't have to sign.
11: Why am I considered a second-class citizen that I should take care of these responsibilities?
9: Now he's among a group of foreign-trained doctors who filed a human rights complaint challenging the way the residency program is run in BC. They claim it restricts them from even being considered for 84% of the resident physician positions in the province, which limits their ability to become practicing doctors in spite of passing the exams. They also claim international medical grads can only pursue resident positions in four of the 29 specialties.
6: 13 years of... uh experience in anesthesia, three years uh, residency in anesthesia, I'm not below
9: This issue has been around for years. In 2012, then-BC Health Minister Mike Diong promised action.
5: What I encountered was uh, a lot of entrenched interests, a lot of what I call institutional arrogance.
9: Those institutions, including the current government, refusing to comment on the case because it's before the Human Rights Tribunal. But UBC has argued in the past that training and standards, including clinical skills, are different for grads here.
5: Now, we expanded the number of positions. Uh, we should have done more.
9: DeYoung refusing to characterize it as systemic racism, but former Vancouver medical health officer John Blatherwick doesn't hold back.
10: We did not realize how much of, of what our practices were racist. But if you look back now, you've got to say, this is a racist issue. This is affecting mainly people of color.
9: Amid a health crisis and a global movement on racial justice, advocates in this case hope now is the time for B.C. to stop turning its back on this untapped talent pool. Nitu Garcha, Global News.
1: No more teachers, no more books, no more Zoom meetings. School is officially out for the summer, but the typical cheers on the last day of classes silent this year with the majority of B.C.'s kids at home. The excitement has been further dulled by anxiety over what will happen next year. Richard Zussman has more.
10: It's an annual tradition. Take your grad photos at the BC Legislature. Pretty much the only normal thing these kids have experienced linked to school over the last few months.
9: The social aspect, I guess, is missing of our final years of school, which is a little different.
10: And as these students move on, expect different to continue. The province announcing a task force to figure out what school will look like in September.
1: BC is, you know, not alone, but among the very few North American jurisdictions that has had a return to, to uh, in-class instruction and uh, how that will inform a, a stronger September restart is, is is part of the business.
10: The committee includes parent advisory committees, First Nation leaders, public health, school administrators and the BC Teachers Union. One of the options on the table is continuing what we saw in June when around 200,000 kids did both in-class and virtual learning. The Teachers Union says how it worked over the past four weeks will have to change.
3: It was very uh, difficult to manage both the remote learning and the in-class learning. Of course, teachers did that very well, but it took many, many additional hours.
10: One of the issues the province is still grappling with is what will happen with the most vulnerable students who often need more face-to-face time with teachers and how that works under the hybrid model.
0: Are we putting them kind of at the bottom of the list? Um, We'll get to you when we can. Um, That's a very, very strong concern that we
1: have. Some kids uh, need additional supports and the school system has to be there for them in these pandemic times.
10: There were two COVID-19 positive tests from inside the school system. Both teachers with no concerns those cases spread on to students. As for September, any decision will be based on the advice from public health. The province will be providing updates through the summer with a final decision expected around mid-August. The hope, the next year's grads get the much larger celebration they have earned. Richard Sussman, Global News, Victoria.
1: And still to come, the technological revolution in healthcare. How the gift of an iPad turned into so much more for doctor and patient. Also tonight, new COVID protocols on your next flight. Keep those elbows in.
4: Give a shout out. Tag posts with hashtag BC healthcare heroes or email BC Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with global news in partnership with Fortis BC,
5: ensuring your community has the energy it needs 24 7.
0: Start to the weekend over here at Tawasson Ferry Terminal. The 7 p.m. to Swartz Bay is 90% full. The 7.30 to Southern Gulf Islands is also at 90% capacity. There's a one-sailing wait to Duke Point. The 10.45 is at 90% full. When you buy a lottery ticket or a play at a casino in B.C., our healthcare, schools and community programs benefit BCLC. With every play, you're making B.C. even better. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One, high above Tawasson Ferry Terminal.
1: Another precarious mission at the International Space Station. NASA astronauts conducting a spacewalk today to replace lithium-ion batteries for one of the station's power channels. The task, however, is nothing like replacing batteries in your remote. These batteries are much bigger and weigh 428 pounds each when they're not in zero gravity. It took close to seven hours to complete the upgrade. A Toronto police officer has been found guilty of assault in the beating of a young black man. Off-duty Toronto police officer Michael Terriot and his brother Christian were charged for the 2016 beating of Defonte Miller. The brothers accused of chasing the 19-year-old and beating him so badly with a pipe that he lost his left eye. The defense told the judge that the brothers caught Miller and his friends breaking into a vehicle and acted in self-defense. The judge ruled today, though, that the officer is guilty of assault. His brother was acquitted of all charges. As of July 1st, the country's two largest airlines are ending their onboard seat distancing policies. For several months now, both WestJet and Air Canada have stopped selling adjacent seats onboard flights as a way of maintaining physical distancing. But now, following new guidelines from the International Air Transport Association, Flights can be fully booked again. Passengers will still need to undergo a pre-flight temperature screening and wear a mask while they're on board. In health matters tonight, people with family members in long-term care facilities know the COVID-19 pandemic has been particularly hard on their loved ones. But a new UBC program hopes to ease the stress by giving residents a new way to connect with the outside. And as Linda Ailsworth reports, the program will also double as a health care teaching
7: tool.
16: A few months ago, Winston Jin was looking for ways to fill his days while waiting for third year medical school to begin.
10: School finished uh, beginning of June and right now it's just kind of finding different projects to do to fill my time.
16: Mrs. Yun, a 98-year-old resident of Mount St. Joseph's Long-Term Care in Vancouver, was also looking for ways to fill time, especially since COVID-19 did away with visiting hours. For some residents, the social isolation has led to problems like depression. They get very
7: withdrawn. They refuse to eat. They kind of uh, you know don't want
16: to socialize with other, anybody or talk. And so it was that the Connecting with Compassion Big Grandkids program was developed at UBC. We hope that we're creating new avenues of making new connections and friendships between seniors and our students. And we think this intergeneration involvement can be beneficial to both. Connections made with iPads that bring together seniors like Mrs. Yun with students like Winston.
10: Hi. It's a very nice thing to do, and as upcoming health professionals, it definitely gives us a very um, valuable experience. It's important to recognize that there's a, there's a person outside of the patient.
16: The residents seem to be getting a lot out of the experience as well. We see a lot of difference now. I can see happiness. I can see them more
7: involved and happier than they were before.
16: The program, which has so far provided iPads and student volunteers to two lower mainland long-term care facilities, is expected to expand throughout the province. It is perhaps one of the few good things to come out of this pandemic.
10: It catalyzes change and innovation. This is one example that I fully predict It will continue to be there even after COVID is over.
16: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
1: Still ahead, the growing celebrity of Dr. Bonnie Henry.
12: I'm not particularly (laughs) social media savvy.
1: How she's teaming up with a Hollywood A-lister to spread her message. And why Liverpool winning the English Premier League feels like victory for the white cap, Axel Schuster too. That's coming up in sports. By B.C., Dr. Henry is taking over the social media account of Hollywood star Olivia Munn right after Christie's forecast. And just before we get to that, high water levels have prompted an evacuation alert for a number of Fraser Valley properties. The alert affects 29 properties along the Fraser River not protected by dikes in Electoral Area C and Electoral electoral Area G. Water levels at the Mission Gauge reached 5.5 metres Thursday. Residents are asked to be prepared for a possible evacuation by having essential items ready to go and designating an outdoor meeting spot for family members. Yes, the big melt is on. We'll check in now for that weather forecast as we head into the weekend with Christy Gordon. Christy.
18: Thanks Chris and our weather window actually shows a few of the homes along the Fraser River and you see the water coming up so I'll show you that in a second first though we need to talk about the weekend yes we still have the potential for some rainfall first so here's a look at your photos uh this one from Crescent Beach this is a dock where I used to teach sailing and yes a river otter is out there suntanning thank you so much to Michelle for that one another one showing him playing and what we use as the uh, areas where we pull the boats up on that's what we have the carpet there for to Uh, pull the boats up on there. Now, severe thunderstorm watch is still in effect. Major thunderstorms rolling through the uh, Highway 97. Uh, For the most part, nothing severe has occurred yet, uh, but pretty significant lightning, that's for sure. Remember, if thunder, if you hear thunder, you need to head indoors. Now, this is tomorrow morning, mainly cloudy, slight chance of showers in many regions, but certainly breaks of sunshine for your afternoon. However, you'll note some instability. Yes, pockets of showers and even a risk of thunderstorms in many parts of the province including Metro Vancouver. But for Metro Vancouver, it will be mostly near the mountains and out through the Fraser Valley. Again, that's late afternoon through the evening hours before it clears out just in time for your Sunday, everyone. All right, so here's your Saturday forecast. Cloud and showers all across the region with the showers and the thunderstorms potentially through the afternoon. Temperatures a little bit below seasonal, but not bad, that's for sure. For our region, best chance of showers is tomorrow evening. Again, mountains and through the Fraser Valley sunshine for your sunday though and i'll leave you with your central windows weather window which is the finsloo which is just off of the fraser river and you can see yes water definitely high for these uh, cute little homes there so thank you to ian for sending us that photo
1: that is a pretty spot all right thanks very much christy have a great weekend bc's top doctor is getting a star studded platform to talk about our response to the pandemic Dr. Bonnie Henry will be taking over a Hollywood actress Olivia Munn's social media accounts on Tuesday, sharing her messages with Munn's 2.6 million followers so for the day. Instagram. It's By part Instagram. of the One World campaign called 7-9-20. Hashtag Pass the, the mic, which calls for collective action against COVID-19. Dr. Henry was asked about the takeover this morning and about her social media skills.
12: Yes, I, I'm not particularly <laughs> social media savvy. I have to admit, um, but I'm really excited about this and uh, uh, had a great opportunity to to uh, develop some messages um, that will be coming out to, today. And and really, it, it's about uh, it's about solidarity.
1: It certainly is. Good luck with uh, taking over the account. We'll check in with Squire now and a look
8: ahead to what's coming up in sports, Squire. Okay, this is strange, but there is a chance the Canucks could pick first overall in the next NHL draft.
6: The number one overall selection in the 2020 NHL draft belongs to a team yet to be determined.
8: What that means is one of the eight losers in the play-in round series would get that number one spot. So the Canucks would have to lose to get it. Let's see how it works out. Also tonight, satellite debris.
1: Well, uh, Squire had all of Canucks Nation to flutter there
8: with the uh, notion that we might pick first. You'd have to lose to do it, though. I'm not Mm -hmm. so sure people want to do that. Anyway, um, this kid, Alexis Lafreniere, will be the one who will be picked, likely picked first overall in the next NHL draft, whenever that is. We don't know yet. They held the draft lottery today. Now, we don't really know who's going to pick first overall yet. That's because the first overall pick went to one of the Blank spots. In other words, the eight teams that lose the best of five play-in series will go into a second lottery to see which of those eight wins first overall. That means if the Canucks lose to Minnesota in that play-in round, they would be in the lottery for first overall. But here's how it shakes down right now. So L.A. will get second. Ottawa's choked. They had a chance, two chances to win first overall. They get third and fifth. Detroit the worst team in the league got fourth, but it is a deep draft this year, apparently. What do you think of Phil's so sunglasses? Of it. You know, they're kinda the cool. Doors. Really? Okay. I'll well, I'm gonna get a pair because apparently they help you putt. Example. Keep stretching. Keep stretching. You know, Phil just turned 50 and he is leading the Travelers tournament at 13-under. Well, this helps. In 18, he nearly oh, no. jars it for an eagle gets a birdie wow. there. So he's at 13-under par. Mackenzie Hughes, who shot 60 yesterday, he's still in it. He's only one back at 12-under. We should mention Merritt Roger Sloan made the cut at 4-under. Well, he's not quite at the level of John, Paul, George, and Ringo, but Jurgen Klopp is moving up the rankings of popular figures in Liverpool. Klopp has managed Liverpool FC to a Champions League title and now their first ever Premiership title. There are connections between Klopp and the Whitecaps you might not know about. His first managing job in Germany was with Mainz. He replaced former Whitecaps coach Eckhart Krautzen for that job. And while he was there, he worked alongside current Whitecaps sporting director Axel Schuster
17: personally but also as a representative of our club to congratulate Jürgen Klopp and Liverpool FC to this championship.
8: That is a shout
6: out from Axel Schuster to his good friend Jürgen Klopp. The two go back over two decades to their time with German club side Mainz, where Schuster was head of football operations and Klopp was a player. But in 2001, Schuster and his management team decided to hire Klopp as manager. And as they say, the rest is history. But Schuster always saw Klopp season, as a coach Coachmen in waiting.
17: I, I hope you forgive me, but he was not the most talented and technically uh, equipped player. Uh, uh, what I want to say with that is he understood the game always better than everybody else on the pitch. He was always uh, like a, a, a coach on the pitch. The voice of the coach and the ear and the eye of the coach on the pitch. So you could see that.
6: Klopp led Mainz to promotion to the Bundesliga for the first time before moving on to a five-year run in charge of Borussia Dortmund, where he won the Bundesliga in 2011. Then it was on to Liverpool, where he won Champions League last year and finally the Premiership this year. For a man known to be an emotional coach, the moment hit him hard.
5: It's such a big moment, I'm completely
17: overwhelmed. I never would have thought that it, that it would feel like this. I had no idea. He's so good in, uh, in this one-on-ones with players, in, 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 in pushing players, in, in making them believe that his club is the exact right place for them to grow, to become better, to be successful. And Schuster expects
6: that success to keep coming. There's no doubt in his mind who's the best soccer coach
8: in the world.
17: Not only because of the results in this year, because I know his whole character and his versatile person.
8: Well, maybe one day he can talk him into coming over here. I mean, he's done everything over there, so why not come over here?
17: Let's hope. All right, let's kick it over to
1: Andrew now The preview of Global News at 11. Ann?
8: Thanks, Chris. Vancouver police have issued a warning about a high-risk sex offender who is now living in the city. Howard Getty Skelding had been serving a two-year sentence for sexual assault and indecent acts. Police warn he poses a significant risk to women. And there is a lower mainland connection to a major drug bust in Manitoba. Police from Vancouver, Surrey, Calgary and Regina were all involved in the six-week investigation. We'll have more on that story when you join us tonight at 11. O'clock. Chris.
1: Okay, thanks very much, Anne. We're back with our salute to our healthcare hero and satellite debris next. Once again, to recognize one of our BC healthcare heroes stepping up for BC during the COVID 19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes from Rick and Denise Stannard, who want to recognize their daughter, Ashley Pasquarelli. Ashley is an air ambulance dispatcher for BC Ambulance. She organizes and implements the safe transport of patients all over B.C. She's always made safety a priority for her paramedic crews, pilots and patients. But during the pandemic, safety is even more important. Right now, Ashley is physically distanced from all of her co-workers and dispatchers, and she's working in isolation to prevent the spread of the virus. Her parents say her joy is going home to her husband and two young children. Ashley, your parents are so proud of you, and they call you their hero, and tonight you're our hero, too. And if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to see recognized, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and include a few pictures and a story about why they're your hero, and we might feature them next. All right, let's round out the week with a view of satellite debris. Here, Squire.
8: Yes, we had to shorten it up a little bit tonight because uh, we just had a lot of things in the show. Mm-hmm. But they both are supermarket commercials. They're both from Europe. The second one's from the UK. The first one is from Norway. Hi.
6: Hey, hi,
12: hi. Hi.
11: He's a foodie.
8: I forgot to mention, both have uh, classic rock songs in them. That one, of course, Def Leppard. And the next one is a salute to the old movie Thelma and Louise featuring Fleetwood Mac.
12: Cindy and Cindy saved a money supermarket and now they
3: feel epic
12: and I
5: Your so money supermarket.
8: See, you don't know if they made it or not. They had pretty good pretty good leap there. They got away for sure.
1: <laughs> A little animated teardrop there. Well, let's see if there's gonna be any rainfall over the weekend. It's been pretty consistently uh, rain on the weekends. Christy, can you help us out?
18: Yeah, so tomorrow we will see a fair amount of cloud. It should be dry, though, for much of the day, Chris. But it's tomorrow evening that we do have a chance of some isolated showers, mainly in the mountains through the Fraser Valley, with a slight risk of a thunderstorm. But otherwise, the day Saturday not looking too bad. Sunday especially looking great, with lots of sunshine and a high of 22. And next week looking pretty nice also. Back to you guys.
1: That does look pretty good, and I'm going to be off for a few days. I'll miss you, but I'm thankful to see that forecast. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Yeah, Thanks very bet. much for watching. See you next
4: week.
8: You all. <laughs>